What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm Matt Wyrick, along as always, Blake Pace, on a day that sports fans are going to remember probably for the rest of their lives. We're recording here on Sunday, January 26th. It's about 8 o'clock Eastern Time. And Kobe Bryant, the one of the largest personalities in the history of the NBA, just passed by LeBron James at 4th. Uh, of all-time scoring, an all-time great, just both as a human and as an NBA legend. Kobe Bryant passed away today, helicopter accident. Details still obviously coming out, but what we do know right now is that his daughter, his 13-year-old daughter, Gigi, also passed away. They were on their way over to uh, his Mamba Academy, where he's been working with kids for years now. And we've obviously seen him, you know, bring his daughter to the point of becoming a young and budding star in her own right. So it's been a tough day in the sports world. I'm having a lot of trouble putting together words as I kind of have been all day. So Blake, how are you doing? Yeah, um, you know, like you're saying, it's one of those things. It's almost indescribable how you feel. Um, when the news first came out, of course, you know, you, you take a look. You say, oh, TMZ. They've come out with things maybe that aren't accurate all the time, and and you know so you you keep waiting, and then uh, the sheriff's department confirms the crash, but they don't come out and say the names, and of course even to the live police um, kind of breakdown of everything, they still haven't confirmed the names. But of course we all know by now um, that the report that Kobe uh, passing away, of course, in that helicopter crash was uh, was accurate. Um, you know one of the first things I did was I reached out to my father. Uh, kind of a, a role model for me, kind of talking to him about the entire thing. He's not a big basketball fan, but he he kind of likened it to when, uh, you know, news broke that John Lennon uh, had been assassinated. Uh, he was watching a Monday night football game, and it was one of those things where kind of, kind of like what we saw around the world in different ways, um, the broadcast was interrupted. You know, they held a moment of silence at the game. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of one of those moments with, with you know, those of you who might be older to have lived through the John Lennon assassination, um, you know, more recently you think about Michael Jackson passing away, just some of those moments where you, you're kind of, you know, and we're sitting here hours after it's happened, you kind of just keep checking again to say, oh, this can't be real, um, this can't be happening, but um, it, it is very real, it's very sad. We've seen the uh, basketball community come out and, and show a lot of love and support uh, to Kobe, Um you know, even beyond basketball into, you know, Tom Brady uh, coming out as well to Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, uh, Ale uh, Alexander Ovechkin. Um, we've seen kind of the entire sports community uh, wrap around such a somber moment. So um, just one of those things, it's it's hard to really grasp that it, it, it's real. It's unfortunate the way that these things happen. Um and, and and yeah, gone way before his time. Kobe was expanding into things way beyond the the world of basketball in his career. You think about you know uh, the the Oscar that he won, um, New York Times bestselling author. He was doing so much for men's and women's basketball, especially women's basketball. We'll talk more about you know kind of what his daughter was going to become um, potentially maybe down the line. But just as you're saying, just in a, a tragic moment an unbelievable one and one that I'm still, you know, having trouble, um, you know, completely grasping. Yeah. I mean, my initial reaction was shock. You know, I'm, 
obviously being an East Coast guy uh, whose basketball probably was his third favorite sport growing up, you know, I wasn't necessarily emotionally attached to Kobe by any means. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't my favorite player. I, I didn't look out for him. And, and obviously, you know, other sports were a bit more important to me as a kid. But, you know, Kobe Bryant was the face of the NBA. I mean, he kind of bridged the gap between MJ and LeBron. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he rose and won all those titles, it was just, you know, a, a cultural thing. You know, the the rise of the internet coincided with his career. So, you know, right off the bat, you know, I, I think Blake and I are kind of part of that generation, first generation to grow up with the internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you were always looking at YouTube videos of Kobe, and when you first got on Facebook in middle school, everybody <laughs> was sharing videos of him and, and that kind of thing. That was, you know, what kind of got all of that started, and he was just so shareable, so likable as a player. I mean, you know, if, if we are talking about his legacy, there are certainly some off-the-court things that, you know, we still don't really know all mm-hmm. about, um, and, and certainly troubling details there that are you know unconfirmed but still out there and you know there will be a time to talk about that kind of thing i think as of right now you know you want to respect the family family and the the legacy that he built and sure if if those accusations prove true at at a later date you know we we can dive into those things but i think with everything so fresh right now it's just a bit inappropriate to kind of dive into that and you know you you never want to you know dishonor the dead even if you know there was something like that so you know, looking at what his legacy is, I mean, you, you have to start with the Mamba mentality and, you know, every kid rolling up a, a ball of paper and shooting it in a trash can yelling, Kobe, you know, that was yeah. just, <laughs> it was just what you did. It was, it was like catching a, yeah. a, a ball in the schoolyard and just yelling, oh, you just got mossed, you know, it, right. it was just one of those things where it, it was bigger than basketball. It was bigger than Laker fandom. It was a cultural thing, you know, it's, like I said, hard to, to put into words, but he leaves behind this legacy that is just so wide and expansive. You mentioned the Grammy or the Oscar, excuse me, and, and uh, you, you mentioned the book, and, and he also dipped into TV with ESPN Plus doing you know, stuff mm-hmm. there. I mean, he was just kind of a little bit of everywhere, and obviously the, the charity stuff too and, and all the, the stuff he did for his daughter. Uh, I saw an interview uh, with him, with I believe it was Jimmy Fallon, where yeah. he was talking about how some guy came up to him. He was standing there with Gigi, and they came up to him and said, "Hey, man, you got to get some sons. You know, somebody who can help pass on your legacy." And uh, immediately Gigi jumped up. She's like, "What you mean? I'm gonna do that." You know, and uh, she had her sights set on on being in the WNBA, and she was a fantastic player. You know, I think for somebody her age, I mean, obviously being tied to Kobe was a big part of it, but mm-hmm. you didn't hear about a female basketball player at the age of 13 as much as you did uh, no. with Gigi. <laughs> I mean, it was it was crazy, and, and we saw lots of highlight videos. It was more than just Kobe being at her games. It was She was actually showing up on the court. She had some talent. She looked like she was on her way to the WNBA, and uh, I was really looking forward to seeing how that career would unfold. I was looking forward to seeing, you know, what Kobe would be like in his 50s and 60s, kind of that old man man who is just wise and respected by everyone in the NBA and every time he shows up anywhere everybody just kind of bows to him like you know he got that treatment now but you'd like to be able to see I mean he wasn't even inducted in the Hall of Fame yet this is his year this was supposed Mm -hmm. to be the year that you know he was inducted in the Hall of Fame and we got to celebrate him kind of one last time for all of his career achievements and you know his family and him are being robbed of that it's just you know 
it just kind of shows you that life is so precious and you never know when your last day on earth is going to be. You just have to live life to its fullest and, you know, tell the people around you you love them and, you know, just don't take anything for granted. Yeah, 100%. And going to, to Gigi and kind of how we were starting to see her a little bit more on social media. And like you're saying, for a 13-year-old, we don't see, you know, we we don't see many men's basketball players at the age of 13 showing sure, yeah. uh, like we were. And, and I kind of liken it in a certain respect. She's not as old. But it, it kind of seemed like that was going to be the Bronny James Jr. of the WNBA. It seemed mm-hmm. like this was going to be that face that was coming up. Um, you talk about, you, you see it on film. She was a very talented player, had that same turnaround jumper like her father. Mm-hmm. Um, even bit her Jersey the same way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, and it's just to think about what could have become with her life. Um, and, and what that could have meant to the sport is just devastating. Um, you know, like you're saying the video of, you know, on, uh, Fallon, uh, of Kobe, you know, the videos of them playing basketball against one another. I watched a clip of, you know, it looked like they were playing in Kobe's maybe like house gym or whatnot, but she was draining threes and, and Kobe was playing defense on her. And it's just those moments that you just, you hold on to if you're, you know, the other members of that, of that family. Um, you know, you take a look at those videos, you remember and cherish all those moments. Um, but yeah, so y- you feel terrible. And to go back over to Kobe for a second, I mean, like you were saying, it's the guy that we grew up on. My my background into basketball, like you were saying, it wasn't ever my favorite sport. You know, when I was a young kid, baseball was my number one sport. Um, and then basketball became my number two. I didn't become a, a big football guy until late into high school. Um, it really, you know, basketball for me, I grew up um, and my big season breakout year for basketball was when Carmelo Anthony was on the Syracuse Orange in 2003, went to a national championship, uh, and then Melo goes straight to the Nuggets um, in, in that draft. And that was kind of how I got indoctrinated into the, the game of basketball. And, you know, like I was saying, you know, for either of us, it wasn't our biggest sport, but I'll never forget, you know, my first Kobe Bryant memory, because if you were a Lakers fan, you have a lot of great memories with Kobe. If you were a fan of any other team, you have some pretty painful memories of Kobe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so so mine first up was the 2009 Western Conference Finals. You had the Denver Nuggets versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Carmelo Anthony, the furthest he advanced ever in his career uh, in a postseason. And Kobe Bryant in that Western Conference Finals in six games, averaged 34 points, six rebounds, six assists. And, uh, and of course, the Lakers went on to the finals that year. Um, taking down the Nuggets. Uh, so that was really my first, you know, gut check moment, uh, you know, of rooting against Kobe Bryant. And then throughout the, you know, latter part of his career, coming back from the injuries, rupturing his Achilles and sinking two free throws. And then, I, you know, one of those things, it's, you know, kind of like what we saw last year. You'll never forget where you were when Tiger won the Masters. You know, I'll never forget where I was, I was in, it was my freshman year dorm room. It was, uh, my, actually my friend's dorm room, uh, Ty Urban and Greg. Um, they actually, we were all watching in there. The, the Warriors at the same time were going for their 73rd win, a record breaking win, but we had the game glued to that jazz Lakers game and Kobe putting up 60 in his final game, um, at, at the age of what I believe he was 39 or 38 at the time maybe a little bit younger. I'm, I got my years confused, but you know, you'll never forget that moment um, if you were watching that game. And so, um, you know, the, the sport 
has missed him since he left, of course. Um, and he did leave a, an empowering legacy as one of the, the all-time greats. Um, it's just, like you said, it's like we've been talking about. It's just one of those things. That's, it's just hard to believe that it, it actually has happened. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was at work and, you know, working at a local sports news station, you mm-hmm. have a lot of analysts who've been in the game for a long time and players who were around him and there were there were a lot of tears. I mean, I have to say it was yeah. it was a somber day uh, in our office and, you know, having to kind of adjust and write about this and, and put up stories and videos and, and tweets and all this kind of stuff to honor him. You know, we were all kind of moving a little bit slowly uh, throughout the day. Just, you know, everybody was just in shock. I, and, mm-hmm. you know, nobody, this was one of those things where you have uh, words planned and you can take time to write out what you want to say and, and everything. But nobody really had that. It was just kind of a, a state of disbelief. And then, a state of denial from there yeah. and uh, nobody wanted to believe the TMZ report you know like you said TMZ has its history of of getting stories wrong but you know a part of you just had to be like you know they couldn't have messed this up this has to be yeah. you know th- this is just insane so you know for me i don't have a, a specific memory from a kid as i was as a kid um as to you know what Kobe did, I mean, obviously the, the games later in his career, like you mentioned, the tearing his Achilles and you know putting up sixty in his final game, those were moments that, at least for me, when I had really developed developed into a multifaceted sports fan, you know for, that will always stand out. But as a kid, it was just more the idea of Kobe. You know, like I said, mm-hmm. shooting around, uh, just yelling his name anytime you yeah. took some kind of crazy shot because he just had that reputation. You know, he was he was fearless. And uh, so many people have come out today, athletes, you know, people in so many different industries to say what kind of impact that Kobe left on them. And whether it be like A-Rod saying that, you know, he was his secret coach for the last couple years of his career and helping him get through, mm-hmm. you know, some of the more tough times for him. Or, you know, a guy like Trey Young, who's all he was was his daughter's favorite player. Uh, but he had met Kobe and, and he was emotional on the court tonight uh, against the Wizards. And he wore his number eight. I mean, it's some are, are just little things and some are big things, but everybody who even met him seemed to have felt touched by him. And, you know, that kind of shows, uh, you know, as yeah. a player, he was very widely disliked, uh, which I think is a testament to the kind of player that he was and the kind of competitor that he was. Um, but by the end of his career, there was just so much respect uh, for what he did, both as a person and as a player that you can't help, but just feel so sad today if you have any kind of connection to sports whatsoever you know i equate this feeling kind of to when jose fernandez passed uh in in the boating accident and Mm -hmm. um you know obviously there were some weird circumstances around that as well and you know there's still uh ongoing court cases having to do with that i hope really hope that nothing like that comes out of this but um you know the the initial shock of that happening was just jose fernandez felt like such a larger than life personality that he was almost immortal i mean you know kobe kind of the same way he just didn't seem like capable of dying especially at this such young age you'd always thought he'd just be around for forever Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they're just gone and and everybody has to cope with that 
Um, and, and nobody is going to be able to replace that kind of personality uh, or that kind of person in their lives or uh, in the sport or what have you. But it, it's it's just a lot to handle. And, uh, you know, I think that everybody as sports fans has kind of come together today uh, in a way that only the loss of somebody like uh, Kobe can do. Yeah. Yeah, I was I just my mind keeps going to all these old memories. He was also a he was also part of uh, one of my favorite commercial series of all time, the the plush doll commercials with him and LeBron James, where they were going back and forth, and Kobe and and LeBron, and Kobe's going, "Hey, LeBron, ha- have you seen my championship ring? I seem to have misplaced my five championship." rings and just like going back and forth joking with LeBron about how he didn't have a title it just it it, it really you know I, I keep thinking back to all of the young Kobe memories that you had of course if you were in fifth or fourth grade and and, and didn't yell Kobe when throwing a piece of paper in the trash can in one of your like middle school classes then I feel bad for you exactly exactly yeah but I, yeah like you're saying the, the impact that he had on this generation of athletes, Trey Young wearing number eight, Bradley Beal, we've seen be emotional on the sidelines, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Tyson Chandler, a lot of players today playing with a heavy heart around the league. Of course, those that have to report on it as well, too. Very close friends. I, I was uh, the first broadcast that I was watching was over on NBA TV. And oh, my God, I'm forgetting his name right now. But a former teammate of Kobe's was uh, on the broadcast. Oh, man, I'm Maybe his name will come to me in a few seconds. But then, of course, you go to Jalen Rose, uh, Richard Jefferson, all of these guys that are that are you know reporting on a friend, you know, almost that has passed away, and and trying to cope with that while also communicating to millions out there that are grieving alongside with them. Um, just a very, it's just a, a tough day, uh, if you are a member of the sports community. And I think we also you know need to talk about the media response today yeah uh, it's been a, a bit of a hot button topic with everybody kind of rushing to be first we had a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. go around uh, people confirming things that might not have actually been confirmed whether that have been the number of people died i think i saw ESPN or abc reported at one point that um, all of kobe's daughters were on yeah. the helicopter and then that had to be rescinded and then somebody came out and said none of them were on it but then it turned out that one of them was and uh, there was another person who came out and said on NBA TV that all the games were being canceled and then they weren't and you know it was just kind of reckless to be honest and you know it's where we kind of live in this digital age where the demand is is so stark to be first because if you're not nobody's going to be clicking on your story but I just, you know, a little insight into the the NBC Sports uh, tree. We we have a, a channel where we were all messaging in there, whether it be NBC Sports Chicago, Bay Area, Northwest, all this, all the different uh, groups were all in this this group chat kind of thing, and um, we were putting in all of these rumors and things like that, and we all held off from publishing our stories until mm-hmm. we actually saw uh, it be confirmed by Woj, you know, somebody of that. Uh, stature to the point where we felt comfortable putting it out. You know, there were so many right. other news outlets that that didn't do that, and I was, you know, very happy for our organization today that they, you know, stepped up and were willing to sacrifice some clicks to do the right thing. And I just felt like a lot of different organizations weren't doing that, and mm-hmm. it, it ended up being just really reckless. And 
a dark day for sports media, in my opinion, Definitely. whether that be, you know, just the, the Twitter response in addition to, the, you know, Kobe's death. Yeah. And, and, and these people have jobs to do, you know, they're expected to yeah. be on top of everything. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, you almost doing stuff like that or forgetting the human element of this entire thing. Um, there's a lot of emotion with, with the severity of a story like this when that goes on. And, and even to the point, um, I remember just watching the police debriefing, uh, they kind of went into TMZ even, um, for, mm-hmm. you know, reporting on it bef- supposedly before, um, Kobe, the rest of Kobe's family had found out, which, you know, a couple hours had passed. Maybe they had known, maybe they hadn't, um, you know, until it broke by TMZ. But, um, yeah, it it was a really bad day. Like you're saying, I remember seeing, I was watching, uh, NBA TV and they're like, the games are still going to go on. And then I go to Twitter and three different people have tweeted out that they're canceling the games. And it's just a lot of, um, misinformation, just a lot of inaccuracies and and yes people have a job to do but we're just unfortunately we're in we're in this twitter world now we're in this clickbait world where your jobs are almost dependent on you know being first and and it kind of yeah. gets rid of the value of accuracy and we need to find our way back to that and and I know us also as as people that belong in that community um we we have a certain amount of responsibility to ensure that we're kind of putting we we have to make accuracy number one over timeliness Um, and it seems you know kind of in the digital age like you were saying we're just at this point where it's the the value has kind of jumped to timeliness first accuracy second and so that that definitely needs to be adjusted and and a lot of pain was going through the community people were reporting that rick fox was also in that um in that plane crash and um and then you know his daughter had to come out and say that, no, he's alive. I was just talking with him. And so it's a very tense um, scenario when you're dealing with something so sensitive like this and people's lives being in, in danger. Yeah, I mean, as far as, as the TMZ thing goes with you know them reporting it before supposedly his family found out, there's a part of me that understands that. Now, oh, yeah. TMZ 100% should have... Uh, reached out to the family before publishing. I don't know if that happened or not. I, yeah. I couldn't couldn't tell. I didn't read the story that closely. I guess uh, to see if they reached out to the family for comment before publishing or not. I mean, that's not TMZ style. So I would go right. on a limb and say probably not. But if they did reach out to the family and got no response, then at that point. You know, you can only wait so long to publish a story like that. I get exactly. it. You know, I, now they better have made that necessary step that, you know, that that's proper journalism. But at the same time, um, you know, for a family, if, if they did find out that way, it's just absolutely terrible. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, to just be opening up your Twitter feed and to find out your husband has passed away. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's just that's not the way something like that should happen. And, um, you know, it was definitely a dark day on Twitter, um, for, for the media, for, you know, just all of these reporters who were really rushing. It, it just, like you said, it, we're in this, like we, we get it. But at the end of the day, you know, this is a model that a lot of news organizations have built themselves on. And we get here all the time about how the media is failing. You know, this might be part of it. 
with with this click through model uh, with advertisements and getting as many eyes on your site as possible. You know, I don't know if that, that's a sustainable model. I mean, the the athletic is proving that you can market a company that is all about quality and has zero ads. I mm-hmm. mean, that's that's what the athletic is. I mean, they reported just two weeks ago that over their first, I think it's now three years since they started the company. Uh, over that first three-year span, they've averaged 80% retention rate of readers. I mean, that's insane for a company that charges 60 bucks a year for a subscription. I mean, that that those kind of numbers are showing you that what they're doing is working, even though they actually haven't made a profit yet. You know, they're they're built on a model that they think down the line they're going to be make reeling in the cash where it's worth you know putting all of their money that they have right now into high quality reporting, mm-hmm. and you know they still break things. I mean, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick, I think his last name is pronounced, you know, broke the Astro sign stealing sto- uh, scandal. And yes, you're you're not going to maybe get something like this. Um, by taking this approach, but I would m- much say that the you know the athletics reputation is is very good for its level of reporting, and nobody faults anybody there when they don't get a scoop, and nobody doesn't go back to them because they're not first on everything. You know they go there for the, the quality, the sound reporting, and uh, you know I think that other companies, other media outlets need to you know. Take note of that, and mm-hmm. it's it's a risk. Don't get me wrong. It, you know, jumping out and, and trying that is a risk because you know there are still going to be plenty of other organizations out there that are going to try and be first, and that is going to be what they go for all the time. And there's nothing you know you can do about it. But if you take yourself out of the running and you focus your resources, you know you're going to built up a reliable following of readers and listeners or watchers or whatever who respect what you do and will go back for it. And you know if they see something like this where TMZ comes out you know you could be the woes who confirms it and people are like oh shit this is real this really happened you know and and so many of these organizations who were rushing to confirm it i mean we were sitting there seeing all of it from my desk just saying oh we don't trust any of this you know none of these are reliable reporters we know you know can confirm something like this and we take them at their word. We we had to wait for Woj to to be the one to say it. That was kind of the the final nail in the coffin per se. Right. Uh sorry, that was actually a very poor choice of words, but um you know, I, I just it, it it's frustrating to me um to to see my field do this and I think yeah. I can speak for Blake here when I say that you know, we kind of entered this journalism field in a very tumultuous time with with Trump as president and, you know, him declaring war on the media and social social media just absolutely taking over how reporters approach their jobs and everything like that. I mean, it's a very weird time to be entering the field. And I think that our generation of reporters, these these young people right now are recognizing how bad this is and, and how like how many ramifications this can have uh, and are hopefully are going to work to combat it. Because if, if we're still like this 10 years down the line, I mean, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. There's, there's no way that if you keep it up like this and, and some people, and I, and I have seen with this specific case, a lot of people have come out now in the last few hours and have kind of bashed those reporters and those news outlets. Oh, absolutely. That were, you know, so hopefully maybe the backlash can kind of put us back on the right direction, but completely agree. It is not, um, this is not a situation that we want to make, um, you know, the standard. We don't we don't want to have to deal with this with every major uh, breaking news story where we are just sit here, you know, for almost, you know, over an hour 
not sure of, of what actually has transpired. Uh, that is not what this um, what the media is supposed to be doing out here. We are supposed to know what is what is accurate um, and and just yeah, I, I agree with you. We we can't really allow this to become the standard. And and just a tip out there for any young journalist, you're told only to report something on an unnamed source if you have multiple sources confirming this to you. Now, if you have one source that you've worked with over time and you've developed a relationship and you trust them to tell you the truth every single time, then okay, you can work on that. But never, ever should you report something based on a first-time source mm-hmm. and them alone. You know That is how you get into uh, this spiral of reporting things that he said, she said type deals where you know you might not have all the facts or somebody might be trying to push a narrative and you have no idea because you're blindly trusting that source. It's just – it's something that I'm, I'm noticing more and more reporters being willing to do because of this day and age. And you know it, it's something that people who are going into journalism right now need to know. Yeah, certainly. Um, well – Sorry. We were gonna no, you're fine. We were we were gonna go into some other topics earlier, but then after this happened, Blake and I talked, and we decided that you know talking about anything else right now just kind of wouldn't feel appropriate. Um, so we'll be back uh, on Thursday to preview the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl week now officially, mm-hmm. um, and we'll we'll have some Super Bowl preview stuff for you, and we'll probably be talking Zion because we haven't had the chance to do that, and he'll have a couple of games under his belt and. Maybe even some MLB. I don't know. Blake, uh, you got any final words here you want to say? Yeah, just uh, moments like this really, and and everybody says this too, it just makes you cherish the moments um, with your loved ones when you have them, you know. And I, I think it was Jay Williams who said it best, you know, if you've had, if there are people in your life that you've had problems with and maybe you feel hate towards them and, 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 and anger towards them, um, you know, the last thing that you want to do is hold on to those grudges. You know, don't go through your life with anger. Um, love those around you and um, and cherish the moments that you have with them, because things like these um, kind of kind of bring you back to to earth to light. Um, sorry, kind of bring you back to the sense of what really matters in life. And so uh, feeling for all of those who are going through um, pain and grieving through this tough time and and all hopes are that um you know everybody is resting up in heaven yeah yeah well said blake uh think that you know for me it's just remembering you know who's important to you and reminding each other of that and just not taking anything for granted you know we live in a world where you know getting from point a to point b is considered a given and nobody's really worried about you know getting in some kind of accident along the way, but sometimes these things hit you when you're least expecting it. So uh, you can never be prepared for a moment like this, but you can always you know, pull the people you love, pull the people you're close to, and tell them how much you care about them because you never know when your last day on earth is going to happen. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we'll be back uh, on Thursday, hopefully in, in much better moods, being able to get excited uh, about the Super Bowl and everything else we've got coming up in, in the sports calendar. But until then, for Blake Pace, I'm Matt Wyrick. You've been listening to Reasonably Outrageous. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.